God is good, isn't he? We just love him. And uh, all that he does and all that he's doing, we're living in some very interesting times. And uh, I know, um, you know, I've been busy. Uh, it's been probably one of the busiest times in my life. I've sold the house. So we'll be moving here. Uh, I have till the 23rd of June to finish everything that has to be done. So it's, uh, it's, it's still quite a mountain ahead of me. But I do thank Jesus, you know. Uh, I, I just thank him for all that he does and is doing and what he continues to do. And aren't you glad that, that he loves you today? He cares for you and he wants his will in your life, not because he, not because he wants to, you know, how do I want to put it? Because he knows that's what's best for your life. His will is what's best for your life. So we need to thank him and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that God will give us everything that we need to sustain us in life. But knowing this, as Paul said, I count this present suffering as nothing to what is in store for me in heaven. So we just love him and praise him today. As it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of God. You can go back and see in in Genesis chapter 5, God said he repented that he ever made man because of the wickedness that was in the world. Some people say that God's flooding the world was his judgment. No, it wasn't. It was his mercy. Because unless he ended the wickedness as it was, all flesh, the Bible said, would have been corrupted. He had, what, eight people left in the earth, a remnant that was willing to obey God. Let me tell you this right now. It wasn't about getting on the ark. It was about obeying him. You know what I'm saying? It was about obeying him. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Remember Lot and his wife. And he gave specific orders. He said, I want you to go straight way out of this city and not turn back. And what did his wife do? She looked back. The Bible also says that if a man puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he's not worthy of the vocation. And what we realize in that is that the Israelites said, oh, in, the, in Egypt, even the leeks and the garlics were better than this loathsome bread. Ever hear people whine and complain in the church? Oh, we need a new song. We need this. We need that. You know, it's just this, that, you know, God said, I hate murmuring and complaining. And the Bible said, because they murmured and they complained. He said, not one of these that murmur and complain will go into the promise. But every one of those carcasses will die in the wilderness. They that were 21 years of age and older were judged by the murmuring and complaining. So it was all those under the age, except for Joshua and Caleb, because they had a good report. How many know? Even Moses did not enter in. The Bible said God took him up on a mountain, and he looked over the land.
that God would give the Israelites, but Moses could not enter in because Moses himself had given to anger and, and to other things. You know, there's a lot of Christians today that are filled with anger. They're filled with complaining. They're filled with murmuring. And I want you to know, I think of the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins. And the wise virgins, they kept themselves renewed in the Holy Ghost. Amen. How many know this not getting filled 30 years ago? It's what, what, what have you, have you been filled lately? Have you been just, has the Holy Spirit been pouring into you and refreshing you and renewing your strength? Amen. That's what God wants to do. Well, that's my pre-sermon. Amen. Somebody here today that, and, and last, last week, I let you know, we were, it was uh, a working, um, if you want to call it a vacation, it really wasn't. I, we really felt obligated. My mom-in-law is 84 years old, and she cannot live alone anymore. So she's living with her sister in Westbrook. And uh, we had to, as a family, her brother was there and her sister um, and myself. And we just had a huge yard sale. And boy, I wish I could have bought half the stuff, but I don't need it. That's my problem. I guess I get hooked on stuff. I like that home and I like that, but I didn't. We disciplined us out. And, you know, things went cheap. Uh, but, you know, we give it to the Lord. And, and we had a very productive week. And then we went back uh, to the camp and cleaned it and came right home uh, because there's a whole list of things that she, the realtor has given us, um, you know, to get done before the uh, appraisal um, takes place. So we've been very, very busy. And, and I just thank God for your patience. I know on uh, Friday mornings we haven't recently had a time together. I'm looking forward to that again. But for now, you know, we just need to, to go forward. He told Moses, take off your shoes. For the ground in which you stand is holy ground. And Moses could have looked around and said, but I've stood on this ground many times. Amen. What, what makes it holy? God said, because I said so. Amen. I mean, no, God can speak and it's done. You know, we look at um, the world and, and not that we shouldn't be responsible for cleanliness and, and things of that sort. But the world is so environmentally cautious because it's the only heaven the devil will ever have. And so he's concerned about what modern technology might do. So he wants to try to make this his abode for eternity. And God said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn the ocean to blood. All the fish are going to die. <laughs> I'm going to knock every mountain down. I'm going to cause... I mean, it doesn't sound like an environmentalist to me. Amen. You know why God was going to do that? Because he, in a minute, with just a word can bring it back into his present glory. Oh, not present, but I mean past present glory. And he will. And it's going to be a wonderful time. And the Bible said 
that Jesus will come down with that new Jerusalem. That new Jerusalem, I believe, will hover over the old Jerusalem. And he will become, he'll make his seat on the throne of David. And the Bible said he'll rule there for a thousand years. We get the word millennium. The, millenni the millennial reign of Jesus. A thousand years. And he said, and after that thousand years, he'll let the devil loose again for just a short season. Because every single person has to be tried to whether they really love Jesus. You know, we hate the trials. But you know, every trial, what Jesus is saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Amen? And you know, and that is the trial. So when I say I love God and I broke one of his commandments, I'm a liar. And I have to be honest. And I have to say, Lord, I want to love you. I want to love you the way you deserve to be loved. You're going to need to help me, Lord. <laughs> I need you more than ever. Anybody feel that way? I, I know I do. Lord, I need you more than ever. In Jesus' name. Father, we love you. He is the healer. He is the miracle worker. The Bible said he could do no miracles in his homeland. Why? Because they didn't believe. What causes us to believe? Faith. And where does faith come from? Well, of course, we know that the origins of it is God because he said he's given to every man a measure of faith. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what I want to talk about this morning is about thinking. Thinking. You know, the Bible said, as a man thinketh, so is he. James said that uh, how unruly the tongue is and who can tame it. A man who can tame his tongue is a perfect man. But the Bible said, out of the abundance of the heart, amen, that's what a man will speak. So we realize if we want to tame the tongue, we've got to, we got to tame the mind. Because we will speak. I mean, you may not, uh, you may not consciously think you will, but I will tell you, you will speak what's in your heart. Dare we allow God to see what we're thinking? So one day I said, Lord, you know everything that I think. And then I said, it's kind of too bad. <laughs> Why not be honest? Oh, some people get so pious. We're not pious people. I met with the men, and we kind of discussed why some people may feel uncomfortable going to church. And a couple of different things. And one is, is that the people in the church act pious and make people to think that they're something that they could never be. I want you to know we're all, as Brian said, sinners saved by grace. Without him, where would we be? 
to remember that prejudice comes from thinking. But in Psalms 139 and 23, and I will read out of the NIV on this one, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Another translation says it like this, O God, let the secrets of my heart be uncovered and let my wandering thoughts be tested. Now in the King James it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way, this is verse 24, any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This psalm of David was one that he had learned. He learned that he could not trust his own thinking. He had learned that he had a way that was different from God's way. Now here's a man who faced Goliath in the field. Here's a man who faced the bear and the lion in the wilderness. Here's a man that had great successes in God, and yet we saw his failures. You know, and what we have to realize, we've seen it in modern life. We've seen it among people we've admired in the faith, and to see them fall from, from, from their positions. We've seen all those things. And David really comes to a humble posture. Lord, I can't trust my own thinking. I cannot trust my own heart. Search my heart, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me. I'm going to tell you this right now. Paul said, I do not preach as if I've already attained. But this one thing I do, I press for the mark. For the high calling of God. For the place of perfectness in Him. That's what I press for. That's what I want. There's an old saying that says, if you aim for nothing, you're surely going to hit it. But what we realize in this is how do we train our thoughts according to God's will? Our thoughts are known of the Lord. That's one thing we need to realize. In Psalm 94, 11, it says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. Remember Job, when he began to tell God about all this, you know, the stars are hung here, and this is that, and that. And God came down and said, Job, what do you know? Huh? How many times we say, oh, we know God, I know this, I know that, only for God to come and say, okay. And I've met people who think they've got God all figured out. His ways are higher than our ways. Amen? In Psalm 139, 2, it says, You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar God knows you know we sing that song about Santa Claus he knows if you've been good or bad I want you to know that's Santa Claus is a fictitious character but God does know whether you've been good or bad 
He knows when you're going to be bad before you know it. <laughs> Didn't he know that about Peter? Oh, Peter said, I'm willing to die for you. You know, maybe you got in the Holy Ghost and felt pretty strong for that moment. Then you get out there and find the guillotine, and I see you headed for Walmart across the woods. <laughs> no, saying I wouldn't join you, but I'm just telling you that Peter was very boastful, and, got, and Jesus said to him, he said, No, Peter, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. No, it is not so, Lord. How many of us have tried to educate God? Mm. I know you know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Our thoughts do not please God. In Isaiah 55, 7, it said, Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. The thoughts of a wicked man or an evil man, God hates. Our thoughts can please the Lord. In Proverbs 15 and 26, it said, The Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but he of a pure, of the pure are pleasing, but those of the pure are pleasing to him. Thank you. The King James Version says it like this The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination. I kind of like that one better. It shows you how serious he is. They're an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. The word abomination is teoba, teoba. And it, prop, it uh, properly something disgusting morally. And abhorrence, it comes from the root word uh, taba, which is to loathe. God loathes the carnal mind. He loathes it. He hates it. <coughs> because the carnal mind is enmity against God or, or an enemy of God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I want you to know that when you're given to your carnal mind, you will not be mindful of the laws of God. You end up going with reason. You end up going with philosophy. For to be kindly minded is death in Romans 8 and 6, but to be spiritually minded is is life, and it is peace. In Matthew 12, 36, But I say unto you, that every idle word that a man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's why the Bible is going to wipe away all of our tears. I believe our failures. I mean, what God's going to say is, I'm not going to candy coat your life. 
I am going to bless you. You are one of my children. But I'm going to let you know too where you came short. Because I think in my letting you know that, you're going to see my grace in a clearer picture. You're going to know the reason that you stand before me today is because of the blood of my son Jesus that was shed on Calvary. But he said, every idle word he shall give account for in that day of judgment. The Bible said, it's appointed unto every man once to die, and then the judgment of God. Even the righteous will be judged, but will be judged at a different judgment. Not at the great white throne judgment at the end of Revelation. That's for the heathen only, for those who reject Jesus. But we will be judged. And there will be different levels of liberty in heaven. Bob said, he that winneth souls is wise, and he that bringeth many to righteousness shall shine as a star forever and ever. I don't think Billy Graham's star is pretty bright. Some might get in by the skin of their teeth. Mm. In Ecclesiastes 10 and 20, it says, do not revile the king, even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a little bird, a bird of the air, may carry your words. A bird on the wings may report what you say. Oh, boy. How many of us have had that happen to us? Oh, boy. And you have to say to yourself, why did I say that? You know, they say about words, they say, are they necessary? Are they kind? Will they make a difference? In John six sixty three, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Oh, how much we need that. You know, there, there are those uh, that have this idea. I was reading, there was a rock star. You may know him, some of you that really get into music. He's a Christian rock, uh, I guess a Christian uh, singer. And he said in 1912, I mean 1912, that'd be a while back. 1920, uh, no, it's not 19, it's uh, 2012. He went into ministry. And what he said he was going to do is he wasn't going to mention Jesus. He was just going to, you know, get famous. And then he'd have a platform at that time, you know. And he said, I was going through the scheme. But he said, I was lying to God and I was lying to myself. Amen. And you know how often sometimes we are so clever in our own understanding. And we really need to filter it before the Lord and say, God, you show me what is true. He said, Believest thou not, in John 14, 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? 
The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. He does the works. We ask ourselves, why are there not more healing? Why is there not more deliverance? And I'm going to tell you, it's because of the lack of the word in my own heart or in your heart. The Bible said, as a man thinketh, so is he. How can we think like God unless we have poured his word into our hearts? Now, those are, if you're a Christian that leaves your Bible in the pew so that you'll have it for next Sunday, and, and, and that's the only time you open it, you're going to be weak. But God wants us to be strong. The Lord knows our thoughts. Back to that. In Matthew 9, 4, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? Jesus knew. In Matthew 12, 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. In every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Every house divided will not stand. What's going on in Congress today? What's going on in this world today? What's going on among many families today? We need to be in unity. But he knew their thoughts. And he knew that there was not unity. You know, when God said he hates murmuring and complaining, why? Because... Murmuring and complaining will divide the kingdom of heaven. He said, can sweet water and bitter water come from the same fountain? No, because one will corrupt the other. A little leaven, what? Leaveneth the whole loaf. In Luke 9 and 47, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and made him stand beside him. You know what their thought was? Get, kid. We're doing important things. We don't have time for the kids. They just need to keep quiet and be in the background. And Jesus knew their thoughts toward children. And he called the child up to stand beside him to show them. Suffer not these little ones to come unto me. They're important to the kingdom of heaven. Another thing through thoughts is we can shut God out. In Psalms 10.4, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. No room for God. You witness to somebody and they say, Yeah, but you don't know my story. That's the problem. Their thoughts are totally and completely occupied with this story instead of being on him. So we need to understand and realize that they need the word of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's no shortcuts to this thing. Only the Holy Spirit can save. There's no compromise within the church. 
that is going to bring the world into the church because if the world comes into the church, then the church will become worldly. <laughs> the world does not come into the church. The world cannot know him. But if somebody hears the word of God and are quickened in their spirit, it's not going to be the song you sing. It's not going to be the attire that you wear. It's going to be the spirit. We can bring God into our thoughts and, and Psalms 92.5. How great are your works, O Lord, how profound are your thoughts. Now, how could he say that unless he knew the thoughts of God? In Psalms 139.7, it said, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! He said, My people perish for lack of knowledge. Why? Because it's knowledge. It's the Word of God that will make us to understand His thoughts. We can focus on our thinking in Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brethren who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest, whom we confess. Hebrews has always got something great. Hebrews is the book that bridges the old and the new together. It's, it's so magnificently written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is a book that would, if any Israelite would seek to understand, would show how Jesus is the Messiah. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations... And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Wow, what discipline. We're being asked here in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to practice. Maybe as I'm preaching, somebody's thinking about getting to Denny's early. Or whether they left the Hamburg route or not. Or someone's going to turn the oven off at home. You see what I'm saying? It's so easy to be distracted. And have you ever noticed that when you go to prayer, uh, we, we had discussed it the other night in, um, in, in the men's meeting. And, you know, why is it that the, um, some religions are so devoted and Christians can become so half-hearted. And the reason is, they have no enemy. Because they're doing the devil's work. We have an enemy, the adversary, the devil. Who like a roaring lion, goes to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. You ever notice when you get down to pray, all of a sudden, oh, I was supposed to call on Ethel, wasn't I? 
Oh, my mother called, and I forgot to return it. Oh, how quickly our minds can run when we're trying to focus on God. Why? Because you have an adversary, the devil. He's trying to keep you from the things that will make you strong and make others around you strong. He said, you have not because you ask not or because you ask from your carnal thinking instead of your spiritual thinking. The word of God will reveal our thoughts. The word penetrates beyond human sight. In Hebrews 4 and 12, it said, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Oh God, I want to know what's evil in me. And we don't read his word. You know why so many people are afraid of the word? I remember my wife one time saying, she got saved by listening to a TBN program and gave her out to Jesus. But she said she was still afraid of the Bible. Because when she'd open it, it would, it would scare her because it was all the things she was doing. You see, the Word of God is a perfect picture of what we are and what we're not. Moses was instructed by God to collect all the brass Looking glasses. Now, what you see, the Bible says we now look through a glass darker, but then face to face you'll see no as we're known. And really what we're talking about there is a polished piece of brass. Ever looked at a polished piece of metal and see a reflection of yourself? But it's not a clear reflection. But what God said to the women, I want you to bring all your looking glasses in, your, your, your brass looking mirrors and I want to melt it down and I want them to be used to make the laver. Second article of furniture in the tabernacle. First, of course, the brazen altar where Jesus died. So when we go to the laver, the labor represents the washing and the renewing by the word, both the feet and the hands. Powerful. I'm telling you, when you really begin to understand the depths of the Bible, you can only know that it's God. You can't doubt that it's God. In other words, what he was saying is, listen, ladies. You might be getting an image of yourself. I'm going to melt them down and make something better. So the true image of who I am is not what somebody thinks of me. You know, when I go around and ask you, what do you think? I, I have people come to me. What do you think? So what do you care what I think? <laughs> Why don't we see what God thinks? But you don't understand, Pastor. No, what you're trying to do now is coerce me to agree with you. 
Well, don't make such a quick judgment. Let me tell my story first. What you're trying to do is convince the judge that you're innocent. We're all guilty. The word, the word does not show favoritism. Let me tell you, if you're rich or you're poor, I think of what James wrote here, and, and, and James uh, 2 4 says, Have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? NIV, let me go to the King James. I'm going to read actually James 2 1 through 4. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto you an assembly, your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect for him that weareth a gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and you say unto the poor, Stand thou there, and sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and to become judges of evil thoughts? You see, that's what will deter people from coming into the church. I remember as a young, zealous man, I used to have a Volkswagen van in 1971. It was orange and white roof. And, you know, it was like one of them hippie mobiles. And uh, I, I really was zealous for the Lord. And I went out and I found this whole group of people. It was 6 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I'm up and hitting the streets. I want people to come to Jesus. I want them to come to church. I believe that if they come into the body of Christ, they can be healed. And set free. That's some of that old-fashioned stuff, right? And they were all gothic. They were wearing black, and they were looking at gravestones and trying to get close to the dead and everything. And I said, Lord, give me wisdom. How am I going to deal with this people? And the Holy Spirit says, tell them you know someone who died. And got right back up out of the grave and walked again. I said, well, that might be something they'll hear. And I said, you know, I know, I, I know somebody who died. And as they were standing there, a hand comes out of the grave. And all of a sudden, the guy, he, he comes right out of the grave. And they go, wow, man, we want to hear about this. There wasn't an empty seat on that bus going down to the church. <laughs> they all wanted to come and see this one that was in the grave and walked again. I brought them, Brother Richard, into the church, and one old lady sat there with her nose wrinkles and said, they should have a separate service for them downstairs. You see, when, when, we, when, when we show prejudice, when we begin to get too full of ourselves, that others seem lesser than we are. Remember the story of the parable? Of the man that fell in the ditch. He was robbed. Beaten. And left to die. And Jesus gave the parable. And he says you know the, the priest came along. And he saw him. And he says I don't want to be tarnished. And crossed the street. So the Pharisee and so on. 
He said, but the good Samaritan came and he fell down in the ditch with this man who was bloody and bleeding. He wasn't worried whether he'd get AIDS. He wasn't worried whether he was wearing a mask. He got down in the filth. He got down in the place. And the Bible said he bound his wounds. And he didn't leave him there. He took him to an inn. And he says, whatever it cost, lay it to my charge until he's well. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. We're going to be going on the radio on WBCI here on June the 5th, starting from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. It's a live program that I and uh, Dale Carlson will be hosting. And we're really, it's called simple faith. You know, we can cloud faith, but faith can be very simple. It's just adhere to the Word of God. We want to motivate Christians into civic duty and action. Just like that man, that good Samaritan that Jesus spoke of. We think that, well, you know, I need this degree or that degree. You know something to have compassion. My wife went across the bridge here last winter and she saw a girl walking across the bridge with a short sleeve shirt on and it was so cold, she said. She stopped her car and took her jacket off and gave it to her. You see, that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be people of action. He wants us to be people that have faith. If you don't believe that someone can be healed from their addiction, then you will never bring an addicted person to Christ. What hope have they if we lose our faith? We have to believe that all things are possible. So the word does not show favoritism. We can choose our thoughts. We have a choice. People say, well, why is there so much evil in the world? Because people have a choice. God did not give the human race a choice only to micromanage it or, because, or he didn't give it at all. The plan that God made when he saw the result even caused him to be grieved. But yet, we know it's a perfect plan. In Philippians 4 and 8, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, Whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable. If, any, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Another verse says it like this. My friends, keep your minds on whatever is true and pure, right and holy, friendly and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is true or worthwhile or worthy 
of praise. When you look at somebody, what do you see? Remember when he said to the, to the prophet, he took him up on a high hill. And he said, look, what do you see? I, I see nothing but dry bones. What do you see? A bunch of liberals. <laughs> what do you see? Nobody seems to want to serve the Lord. And this is what the Lord said to him. Do you believe that these bones can live again? You see? And the prophet looked at him, and this was a big thing. He said, Lord, thou knowest. He said, then I want you to speak to these bones. Do you know that God delegates his authority? I've heard people say, well, if God wanted to do it, he would do it. No, he won't. He delegated that to you and I. He said, whatever you, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He said, whoever sins you remit are remitted. Whoa. I can explain that to you, that verse. He said, because you have Jesus in your heart and you know him. And somebody comes and says, I want Jesus in my heart. And they ask him to come into their heart. You have, a, you have the authority to confirm in them that they're saved. <laughs> but you see, that prophet had to be willing. He said, ye are the salt of the earth. And what good is it? If it loses saltiness. But to be cast down under the foot of men and trodden. The salt speaks of the preservation of what would otherwise rot. Jesus is asking Harvest Hills today, what do you see? Are you saying nobody wants to serve God anymore? Are you saying that we just can't pray for people and see them transformed anymore? Or are you saying, my God can do anything? Anything, anything. One of the men said last night or Friday night, you know, I really worry about what, you know, cast out these devils. <laughs> that gets a little scary. I tell you what. There are powerful devils out there. I laid a hands on one mentally ill person one time up on Congress Street, and I'll tell you, I thought 440 volts went through my body. Ugh. See, the devil's an intimidator. But you know something greater is he than is in me than he is in the world. We don't stand by feeling. We stand by the power of... And the truth of God. Our choices reveal what we are. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Another version says it like this. What he thinks is what he really is. So if you're looking for sobriety 
and yet you think you're no good, you'll become no good. Oof. If I think that I personally don't have the impact, then I won't have the impact that I want to have. So what do we do? What do we do? What do I do when I sabotage my own successes? What do I do, pastor? Fill your heart with the word of God. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able. Amen? Do you believe today that he's able? Thought control involves a spiritual battle. That's what that cross represents. It represents a spiritual battle. Remember Jesus in Gethsemane? As he was facing this cross, he was intensely in a spiritual battle. The, the, it says that when he was in Gethsemane, blood poured from every part of his body they say under such under great agony it's possible for that to happen that's the agony that Jesus was in the agony where he said father if it be possible let this cup pass from me but he said nevertheless not my will but yours. Thought control involves a spiritual battle. By the way, Jesus became the red heifer. I could get into that, I won't. In Gethsemane. Thought control involves a spiritual battle. We need to dominate our thinking. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down the imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, we fight not. We fight to capture every thought until it acknowledges the authority of God. I think of God when he said to Abraham, you're about to have a baby. He's probably going to say again. Didn't you know I'm 99 years old? My wife's in her 90s. We're going to have a baby. You know what they did? They laughed. And you know what the name Isaac means? Laughter. So, okay, you want to laugh? Your baby's going to be called laughter then. But it will be done. I can see getting ready for the baby. They went out and got a baby carriage. <laughs> they started putting the crib together. They started to get everything all set up and everybody going, ooh. <laughs> it's senility. <laughs> Dementia. Something going on in these old folks. 
But you know, if God says it, we need to believe it. Do you believe that these dry bones can live again? Thou knowest, Lord. Speak to them. I'll give you the words to speak. Where do we get the words? Out of the word of God. We need to direct our thinking. Could you imagine if the church was a symphony? And the conductor gets up with a stick. And everybody just started blowing their own way. Well, you know, that's the way I do it. Well, that's not the way I see it, Pastor. <laughs> that's not how I roll. <laughs> and God hears these ungodly noises. <laughs> and he's saying, look, it ought to be a symphony. And how many know that the director is Jesus? They have to practice. The Bible says make your gifting sure. What does that mean? Practice. Well, I'm not going to do it unless it's perfect. You've just disqualified yourself. Casting down every imagination, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bring it into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. What, look at Jesus. He was there in 40 year, forty days. He fasted. And Jesus came and said, Well, doesn't the Bible say that, that if you threw, cast yourself down, that the uh, legions of angels will come and catch you up? He said, Now, Jesus, let me just share this with you. I'm not totally convinced you're Jesus or you're God. Prove it. How many know this way it is in the world? Someone says this. I know one time it, uh, as a machinist, one guy said he could drive all the way from Portland to Lewiston in 20 minutes. And somebody said, you can't do that. And there was a big argument. Finally, they were going to meet, and he was going to prove it. I said, prove it. Some people get, yeah. Uh, you might do it, but you're going to get arrested. But the thing that we realize in this is the devil came and said, well, cast yourself down. He says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Hmm. Well, then make these stones into bread. Oh, I bet you could smell that nice bread. You just think how easy you could get something to eat. I'm sure Jesus was hungry. Well, just 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 turn these stones to bread. Thou shalt not eat bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The third time he was tested, and he overcame the temptations, and immediately, immediately the Bible said an angel came and made cake for him to eat. 
You know, sometimes we fail right at the end when God already had an angel there ready to give us what we desired. But because of impatience. That's why the Bible said, with patience, possess you your soul. God is never late. Just according to our clock. <laughs> we need to direct our thinking. I'm going to close with that. We use our powerful God tools for smashing, wrapped, or warped, should I say, philosophies. Oh, there are so many philosophies in the world. So many philosophies in the world. Tearing down barrier, barrier, barriers, erecting, erected against the truth of God. Aren't we living in those days? Fit in every loose thought and emotion and impulse to the structure of the life shaped by Christ. You see, God is speaking to the church today, and he's saying, the only way to live an overcoming life is to surrender your life wholly unto me. He said, it's your reasonable service to become a living sacrifice for God. You know why we don't? Because we don't want to die. The apostle said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. He's the one who directs my path. He's the one who brings me into a Gethsemane moment, a time of anguish. A time when we might pray, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness that causes me to deteriorate in my mind. Every addiction and every mental illness and every problem that mankind faces is because of how they think. Hmm. The Bible said all things are possible. Peter, looking at Jesus, walked on water. But then he looked at the water and he sank. Paul said to Peter and Barnabas, he says, Having begun on the Spirit, he now made perfect in the flesh. He said to the Galatians, he said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? How quickly, he said, you've gone from the gospel to another. Let us remember how easy it is to drift and to justify our drifting. When what we need is the power of Jesus Christ. I believe if I put my hands on someone, they can be healed. Why? Because I, I read this book. I believe that we can speak restoration into an addicted person by the power of this book. Blessed are the feet of they who preach the word 
He didn't say blessed are the feet, and I don't mean to go on, but he didn't say blessed are the feet of those who make friends with the world. Oh, blessed is the church that becomes so comfortable for the world that they don't mind gathering on Sunday. Hmm. No, we need the word of God. When somebody that's in great error and goes into a church and leaves feeling all right to continue in their great error, that's of the devil. We have an awesome responsibility. But that awesome responsibility comes with the word of God. We don't alter it. We stand under the promises of God. But on the other hand, we don't become pious either. Like the one who came to Jesus and he said, I'm glad I'm not like one of those. I'm glad I don't collect food stamps. I'm glad I don't have to have a, a voucher for this, that, and the other. I work every day and so should they. Piety. It comes into the church. It also comes from our hearts. And then we need to tame that heart with the word of God. He said, I'm glad I'm not like one of those. He said, another came to the altar. And he said, forgive me a sinner. He said, which one of these two received anything of me? He said, I say the latter. Because he was humble. God is good this morning. Let us close if we would in prayer. And ask God to search our hearts and to help us with our weaknesses, our infirmities, our inabilities. Because God knows we have them. But he wants to replace them with something dynamic and something wonderful. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that the word we can hide in our hearts, that we'd not sin against you or your commandments. For Lord, you said, if you love me, keep my commandments, for my commandments are not grievous. Father, help us, Lord Jesus. We sing that song, Lord, that I'm weak, but you are strong, and we surely feel it. But God, we know that as you prayed to your Father in John 17, you said, I send them as sheep among wolves. But Lord, you said you've not lost one and you won't. We need to trust wholly and completely upon you. Because one can water, one can plant, but only God can give the increase. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And God bless you out on Facebook and, and bless everybody here today that, that, that has heard this word. And I pray that we'll not be hearers only, though, but we'll be doers of the word also. God bless you.